here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey lovers, and welcome back. I got a message from someone on Instagram who shared with me that listening to this pod and reading about my dating women over the years, as well as men, uh, actually inspired them to explore their attraction with women too. And it opened up so much of their sexual world and understanding of themselves. And let me just tell you, I love receiving your success stories. I love getting messages or seeing in my reviews, you know, how this information has, has inspired you, how it's encouraged you, how it's given you permission slips to do what is authentic to you or lead into your fears or your curiosities. That's just like, ugh, turns me on so much. (laughs) And I don't know which of these success stories are my favorite, but Someone leaning into the edge of around gender or their queerness or their bisexuality, pansexuality is probably high up there. And maybe I, maybe the truth of it is that I do have a gay, a gay agenda, like some of the world is afraid of. Um, I like to think of it as inspiring everyone to play into their gay. <laughs> if you want to, consensually, of course do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) But this episode is diving into the idea of curiosity, bi-curiosity, queerness, pansexuality, because there's many people who are curious and want to lean in. And there's many people who don't quite understand this concept. And so what the fuck does all of this mean? (laughs) Maybe some of the terminology was new for you. How does identity influence us here in the culture? How does this impact our ability to lean in or, or the fear uh, that inhibits us? And really, why do men have a harder time in being able to explore their bisexuality or their curiosity if they want to? We're going there. Let's go. And I really want to start this podcast out with my personal story because I want to be an attention whore and tell you about my life, which is basically what all podcasts are for. (laughs) No one being able to interrupt you while you tell your world, your personal stories and opinions about life, love, and politics. And so here, here we are healing our childhood wound of not being heard and understood. Am I right though? Is that why everyone and their mom has a podcast? This is my theory. (laughs) I don't know. Not generalizing. But one of my musings, one of my thoughts that I, that I think about often, uh, yeah, we all just want to be heard. My experience in exploring my sexual attraction, my orientation, like, uh, people ask me when I knew that I liked women and truthfully, uh, there are many times in my childhood where I can see or my childhood and my adolescenthood where I can really see that peaking up, you know, there was, I was definitely turned on about certain cartoon characters that were, that were women, um, certain images. I had fantasies about women. Um, and yet I'm also from rural town, Missouri, and I I literally didn't have any lesbian girlfriends that were out. 
I went to a Catholic grade school and I had a couple of gay men who were my best friends. Uh, but my experiences of that were they were kicked out of their house. They were, you know, disowned. They were sent to, um, uh, conversion camps where they try to change your gay or they try to, you know, quote unquote, heal you from your gay. So that was my reference point. <laughs> Not a lot. So it wasn't really in my field of awareness that that was something that I could lean into. I even remember my older sister saying, Hey, if you're gay, I just want you to know that I still love you. And I was like, I'm not gay. (laughs) So, um, I also was still terrified of sex and touch, uh, at that age. And so I think ultimately my sexuality was just turned off. Then as I moved to Los Angeles and just became a lot more aware of alternative styles of relationships and, um, you know, being able to witness, women having relationships with other women or affectionate with other women that really kicked it on for me. And I was like, Oh, I can, I can do that. I can lean into that. So I probably kissed my first girl slash couple (laughs) at the age of probably like 24, 25 and fell in love with my first girl at the age of 30. And that's a beautiful story. Uh, but even though we fell in love, we were both still really shy in the process of dating. So we were, we were two little shy girls <laughs> just leaning into this and exploring together, um, in a way that was very different with me dating men. And, and I remember at that age thinking, okay, am I doing this right? Or is it going to be received if I lean in? Is, is this, you know, initiation was, was a bit, um, there was hesitancy around that. And, and yet I ended up having to be the one that initiated all the time. Um, so it was, an, uh, as it was a, it was a cute dynamic and, uh, but then being able to, yeah, explore sexually and, um, lean into even that part of like, am I doing this right? Or am I, if, is this going to be received? And now, uh, I'll get into detail more about that later in the show, but now it looks like dating men and women and non-binary, uh, female lovers, female friends who, with whom I'm affectionate with or sexual with girlfriends who have always desired or been curious about uh, affection with other women and, me being their first, which is just so fun for me, <laughs> making out with a girl for the first time and they're feeling their excitement and their nervousness and then feeling their whole body melt into it and, and, and get into it. And, you know, coming back to the gay agenda, if I do have a, an agenda to inspire people to be gay, it's not like I'm twisting anyone's arm. It's not like I'm doing anything unconsensual. I'm not coercing anybody, you know, I'm not turning the world gay to make sure that I have plenty of people to date or hook up with at all. (laughs) It's just, I think I am a walking permission slip for that. And there's a lot of confidence in my sexual fluidity that it attracts people who might be hesitant. I create that, that safe container for that. So um, yay. <laughs> I love that. So I brought up the term sexual fluidity, which is probably my favorite term to identify myself as, um, truthfully, because I see our sexual attraction or orientation as something that is very, that can be fluid. And it, the concept of 
Sexual attraction being on a spectrum was originally introduced by the Kinsey Institute. So the Kinsey scale was created by the, the team that interviewed thousands of people about their sexual histories. And from the research that they gathered, they saw that sexual behavior, thoughts, feelings towards the same or the opposite sex were not always consistent across time or across life. Instead of assigning people to you know one of three categories, like heterosexual, bisexual, or homosexual, this team used a seven-point scale. So it ranges from zero to six with an additional category of X. So people at zero report exclusively heterosexual, uh, the opposite sex behavior or attraction. Those at six report exclusively homosexual or same-sex behavior or uh, attraction. And ratings one to five are those who report varying levels of attraction or sexual activity with either sex. And in the original Kinsey report studies, the X category was designated for the group who reported no sociosexual contacts or relationships in their interviews. So this scale was published in 1948, which is a radical concept to introduce to the culture around sexuality at that time, especially at that time. Oh, my Lord. Uh, But since then, we've discovered so much more and we've gotten more nuanced and more refined with our with our lexicon around around gender identity and orientation. So the this scale doesn't address all the possible sexual identities. There are some sexual scales that have been made since and there's and there's a lot. Let me just emphasize that there's a lot of scales that are available now, um, some with more nuance to it. But there's a lot of respect and honor that we can give for the scale for even introducing this concept to people. Like imagine the upset that people got when the Kinsey team presented this research. Uh, At that time, especially, there was a lot of homophobia and people didn't want to acknowledge that they had fantasies or attractions towards people of the same sex. So this was really radical at the time. Um, Since then, we've got the Klein sexual orientation grid um, that was made by Fritz Klein, and that features seven variables and three situations in time, past, present, and ideal, which allows for more variation of how our attraction changes over time. Um, You know, given the personal story that I had, taking into consideration both my cultural surroundings and my, the reference points, the, um, you know, the the uh, models that I had around me, I would say influenced my ability to access my, or even to admit my, um, my attraction towards women. And also, I think that can also, yeah. So that comes with additional experience in life and maturity in life and knowledge in life. Uh, the storm scale was developed by Michael D. Storms, and it plots eroticism on an X and Y axis. So this allows for a much greater range of descriptions and identities in our sexual attraction. So those are just two very popular uh, d- uh, scales. But again, there are so many scales. And I think that this just shows that we're moving in the right direction. You know, we want to be able to create as as much 
opportunity for people to feel um, that they have a word that can best describe them. Although truthfully, I think as everything is in this, in this life, there's so much that can be expressed and then so much that is lost in our language. You know, how much can we fully be seen and understood with the limitations of our uh, language? Um, some of it is inevitable or unable to really be encapsulated in words, but we do our best. And that brings me to some of these words that we do choose for ourselves. You know, what is bisexuality? What is bi curiosity? And I think there are many definitions that vary, but bi curiosity is typically defined as a person who is curious about or exploring or experimenting with bisexuality, bisexuality um, being the attraction or the sexual activity towards somebody of the both the same sex and the opposite sex. So typically we think of that in terms of the, the binary, you know, male or female. Um, someone might use the term by curious when they're unclear or not yet comfortable with their sexuality, but want to consider the possibility that they may identify as queer. Um, it's important to note that everyone, anyone can identify as bi curious, regardless of their gender. If there's an inkling inside their themselves that they want to, or that they are attracted to, uh, and this includes physically, emotionally, sexually attracted to members of both genders. Um, it doesn't have to be that you act upon it. I believe that you can have these and never act on it. And you can still identify as bisexual or bi-curious. Like bi-curious in and of itself can be its own identity. You don't actually have to do anything with it or take it into action. Pansexual is another terminology that I'm hearing more and more in the mainstream. And it's not that this term is new per se. It's been around for a while, but I do see that the more and more we have access to conversations um, like this one on podcasts or because of the internet, um, we're seeing this, we're, we're gaining access and resources to more possibilities of, of what we yeah, what we can explore, what we can see ourselves or identify identify ourselves as. So pansexual is the is someone who is identifies their attraction, not limited to the binary choice between male and female, but is inclusive to trans, non-binary, uh, other gender identities. And then queer is another term that I often that you'll often hear, or you may never have heard. I don't know where, where you're listening from, but queer is in reference to the way of thinking that dismantles the traditional assumptions about gender and sexual identities. So this is seeing gender and sexuality as socially and culturally constructed, uh, and, um, more open to the, the bending of those, of those, uh, heteronormative ideas or, you know, what culture typically identifies as quote unquote normal. You can be one of these and you can identify as all of these. Truthfully, it's your choice. Uh, I've heard some arguments that bisexuality is transphobic and uh, pansexuality is more inclusive. And I don't actually believe that that's true from my, my opinion. I, I believe that bisexuality has been a commonly used term for a really long time. 
And it has more cultural understanding that some of the other terms that are becoming popular just don't have as much, as much shared understanding. I think, you know, they're, they're happening more and more. They're becoming more a part of the mainstream lexicon, but there's still a lot of confusion. (laughs) Not again, not that these terms are new by any means, but they are being talked about more and more recently. And so it feels like they're new. And I think more people are becoming curious about queer theory or about queer uh, identities or sexual fluidity. So they're becoming, the more that they do the research, they're becoming more aware of some of these uh, other orientations. For me, the term bisexual was something that was more familiar to me than identifying as pan or queer, especially when I started this exploration. Uh, At the time, you know, in my early 20s, I started identifying as bisexual. I didn't have any fear or disinterest in trans. Uh, The term bisexual just felt good in my body to express And at that time, I didn't know pansexual. I knew queer, but it wasn't, it didn't quite feel right in my body for some reason. It just probably just because it wasn't in my awareness as much, Um, you know, bisexual research and bisexual themes in TV shows was a lot more common than, you know, necessarily calling someone queer or pan. Now I find that I use all three of the words interchangeably. And they all feel really good in my body. I typically have to stop and explain what pansexual or queer means to people more often than I do when I'm telling them that I'm bisexual, but I'm okay with educating. I don't have a part in my body that gets upset when somebody doesn't understand, you know, what queer or pan or kink or any of those identities mean. I, I just, I really love educating. (laughs) I'm like, well, let me tell you, (laughs) let me tell you more. Um, I probably get off on that too. I, I do find it interesting though, that there is still biphobia or discrimination across the various communities that exist. So there is some biphobia in the LGBT community, in the straight community, in the lesbian community, um, or even just hesitancy. It may not be biphobia or fear of biphobia, but it could be hesitancy or even could be um, a denial that it it exists. I've been in several of those conversations. Uh, People might assume that you're going through an exploration phase or that you are not really straight or you're not really gay. So if you're bisexual, that means that you are, uh, you know, in the, in the straight communities that you're experimenting or you're trying to get the guy's attention. Or if you're in the lesbian community that you're, you're not really gay. Um, and I, and I understand, I understand the layers of the complexity of this. You know, if I'm going on a date with this girl only to discover that she's going to leave me to date a cock again, like, or he's fucking me, but I fear that he actually wants pussy. Like, I get it. Dating is vulnerable and identity and sexual orientation isn't necessarily fixed. So it's really, it's, it's a risk to date whoever. (laughs) 
if there is a possibility that somebody decides that they want the gender that is not who you are, that's painful, right? It can bring up these insecurities in us of like, I don't, I can't meet them in the way that they want. You know, they want a cock or they want a pussy and I don't have that, or I don't have that energy, or I don't have, you know, that energetic body, or I don't have that, um, orientation for whatever that is. It, it can be, it can hurt. You know, we take that personally or, or we may put up our guard when we're dating that person, um, who's bisexual for fear that they, that they might turn, or, you know, maybe we might monogamy and they're bisexual. And does that mean that if they date me and have a relationship with me, that they'll want to be open quote unquote. And all of these, I've heard all of these fears from people. And while I want to validate everyone's fears and their emotions. And, you know, in some cases this has happened to friends of mine, or this has happened to people, but if we hold that fear and we let the fear lead us and influence our dating life, our love life, um, that's going to inhibit the depth to which we can experience intimacy and, and even the best love, you know, relationships end sometimes and it's painful, but we can still extract all the gold nuggets and all the the beauty from them without it being a failure or being a total wash. Like, let's imagine all of these relationships as opportunities to to shape our gems, <laughs> who we are as gems. So, love just in general is a risk. Uh, but we don't have to lead into it with with armoring ourselves up. So some of these arguments from people that express fear around bisexuality or who deny that bisexuality exists and say that it's a transition term. <laughs> I Can we just let people express themselves the way that they want to? I think a lot of this is our own internal um, projections or fears. And so I would invite everybody to sit with their beliefs and, and really sit with where are these coming from? You know, what, what memories do I have in my, in my repertoire, my life experience repertoire, uh, that would have lended to these beliefs as some sort of protection for myself. I, that's the way I see this. Now it's interesting to see over time, the cultural narrative around, gender orient or sexual orientation uh, and gender expression and exploration and to see some of these really deeply ingrained that have been around for you know, really centuries and then some of them seeing how some of them are changing and then who it changes to be in more favor of and who and it it seems to continue to be really fucking challenging. So there are the unique challenges depending on, on who you are. Cisgender women, meaning uh, women whose bodies match their, how they see themselves, how they identify themselves, their, their uh, sexual anatomy um, with their gender. <laughs> uh, but cisgender women tend to have more support of the culture in exploring with same sex. Uh, I remember when Katy Perry came out with that song and she, the, 
I kissed a girl and I liked it. And that shit blew up. (laughs) Here's where exploring with women for women's desire and women's attraction or curiosity or interest, it became a part of the mainstream conversation. Rather than women kissing women as a strategy for men's entertainment or as a way to to enroll men into wanting them sexually, um, because it was, it was, I, I remember it being a uh, manipulative tactic, you know, and not because a woman wanted to explore with a woman. It was like, oh, look at me, I'm going to make out with this guy and you're going to be turned on by it and you're going to want a threesome with me. No, this is now something that is more common. <laughs> I I would say, and God, that song really turned me on. And I'd say that for cisgender men and men who identify as straight, that this has been especially challenging with exploring their bisexuality or their curiosity towards kissing men or exploring with men because of that deeply ingrained homophobia in our culture. And I'm not saying that men are homophobic, and I'm definitely not generalizing this to everyone, but there is the the culture at large does have such a longstanding message around fear or fear around men having sex with men or desiring sex with men. And what does this mean about me? Like, does this mean that I am gay if I you know, I'm cuddling with a man or if I'm, you know, if I kiss a man or if I make out with a man, or even if I just have the fantasy about kissing a man, um, there are layers of this collective consciousness that still prevent men from leaning into their curiosity as much as I see women are able to. I'm a part of several sex positive communities. Shocker. I know, (laughs) Uh, but It's interesting to see in some of those communities, you know, most of them are women who have explored their bisexual interests or their uh, curiosities of attraction towards other women. And and that could be a spectrum, you know, whether it was just flirting to cuddling to making out to to scissoring or sex or whatever, or even just being in the space with them. Uh, And then for some of the men in some of these communities, I've been in conversations with them or their expression around their boundaries is, you know, no male sexual affection. Um, Some of them say yes to male sexual affection. And then some of them over the years, I've seen that shift for them, you know, where it was more of no, and now it's become a yes, or it's been a yes with, um, you know, uh, just kissing, or I just want to try a kiss, or I just want to try this. And I think a a part of that I can chalk up to them being able to see another guy say yes to the exploration or try something. And so again, it becomes a part of their, it becomes a reference point for them, uh, a permission slip for them. And they realize, oh, that person isn't gay. Now that person is just exploring their sexuality or Maybe what I imagined sex with a man to look like or kissing a man would look like actually isn't founded or isn't real uh, as I'm watching this these other people engage. Um, I'm realizing that it doesn't have to be what my stereotype was around it. 
And I think that the stereotype I really want to highlight even more because when I'm in conversations with bisexual men or uh, straight men who do have a curiosity to explore with other men, they, they've shared, and, and again, I want to emphasize this is not a generalized statement. This is just from raw, real conversations that I have with uh, different people across, across the U.S., really. Um, well, actually, across the world. I'll open that up to the world because I've had these conversations outside of the U.S. too. But they'll associate sex with other men to um, look like the stereotypical gay scene and grinder app scene that's hardcore, fucking, not conscious, not intimate, not embodied, but really just sex for the physically raw getting off. Or they are afraid or they have this image that if they start kissing somebody that has to go from zero to 100, um, that they'll upset the other person if they don't want to go any further or that kissing the other person might make them gay and they're not, they don't want that. You know, some of these people want, or some of these guys even want intimate connection, or that's what they like about with women, that there's, there's a soft, sensual, uh, connective element to it and embodied element to it. And, and so from the stereotype that they're holding, that that doesn't exist with men. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, we got, we got some work work to do in this culture. Uh, you know, is this cultural biphobia or homophobia to blame or even to contribute? Uh, you know, it's all theory really, but I think that us taking this time to sit with and identify the messages around sex and attraction that still impact us today is a very empowering process for us all to go through. You know, what are these thoughts or what are these beliefs that I'm holding on to, and how is it inhibiting my authentic, my fullest sexual expression, you know, of what I want to explore or discover about myself. That statement of, does this make me gay? Does this make me a lesbian? It's so funny how we quickly go to trying to make meaning out of something or trying to quickly identify ourselves (laughs) as something. And I really want to honestly don't worry about rushing into an identity of yourself as anything. Let ourself, I think we can just relax. <laughs> we can definitely relax a little more. Like relax your ass. But let yourself explore for exploration's sake. You know, be curious and lean into it. It doesn't have to mean anything beyond the curiosity and exploration until you want it to. Similarly, your version of bisexuality or whatever the label that is yours, and it's only yours, it can't be determined by anybody else. You know, nobody can tell you that you're not queer enough or that you're not uh, bisexual enough because you haven't kissed someone of the same sex yet, you know? This can really lead us into pressuring ourselves to doing something that we might not be ready for because we're trying to, you know, meet this, this perceived identity or this expectations of ourselves. You know, if we're attracted to women or men or otherwise, and you've never kissed them before, you can still call yourself a bisexual or bi curious or pansexual. 
You don't actually have to take action on it in order to identify. So people who are who try to put these qualifiers out there like, oh, you're not a real queer because you dress like a cisgender heteronormative person. Like, don't let them put that on you. Don't let them bother you. Let them wave their freak flag. And then you can have yours in your own, in your own freakish way. It's probably, again, a projection from them trying to protect the purity of a definition to which they belong to, or their fear of themselves not being queer enough, or their fear of, you know, being hurt. But again, that's that's second grade shit. That is not adult or inclusive. Uh, yeah, you be you, boo. I think identity, you know, as a concept, and I did a podcast episode um, a couple of episodes ago on identity alchemy. So check that out if you're curious about the concept around identity. But identity ultimately is a tool that we try to, that we use to best encapsulate how we want the world to see us or understand us and as well as us understand and interact with the rest of the world. However, it's, you know, there are holes in the system of, of identity. You know. uh, does it put us in a box? Does it inhibit our ability to give ourselves permission to be dynamic and to change our mind? That, you know, so just, just remember that. Use them as you like, but understand that there are challenges surrounding it too. Now, for anyone who is curious about exploring your same-sex attractions, you know, there are many steps that we can take in that exploration. Uh, for women or femme identifying, there's the Skirt Club, which is an international uh, bisexual event that you can go to to explore with other women uh, or other women who are interested in, in other women. <laughs> and they're pretty luxurious. Um, I've had clients, I've had in, uh, colleagues go to those and they've really enjoyed them. Really fun, really relaxed, you know, like an environment you can be in the energy, but you, you don't feel pressured to have to do anything. Another international event like that is LXZ. So check those out, links in my bio. You can also try dating on apps, things like Bumble, Tinder, Fields, that's F-E-E-L-D. I really like Fields. Fields, a very uh, sex positive dating app where people have a tendency to, yeah, just be sex positive and inviting for, you know, more kink or alt, alt sex or threesomes or, you know, fetishes, tantra, whatever. <laughs> and then Pure App is another really great one for fun exploration. I don't know. If I put a bisexual event out there, would this be something that you'd be down for? Maybe I call it bisexual speed dating for all genders and we can just make a soup of diverse bisexuals and let them all vibe it out. DM me on Instagram at Sex Life Yoga. If you think that's something that you'd be down for, <laughs> truly, I think we would have, I think we have a thing. Sex, love, bisexual. <laughs> We'll see if that happens. Um, yeah, I just want to bring all the bisexuals together uh, and bi-curious and pan and, you know, all the queers. <laughs> and, you know, going into this, I'm, I'm putting out these as ways to explore, but there is that, there can be that part of us that's hesitant of like, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want somebody to 
be afraid that I'm going to turn straight on them. Or, you know, there are some apps when I've dated on Bumble and Tinder that in field uh, that people are like, don't reach out if you're bi-curious. Don't reach out if you're bisexual. So maybe that's, you know, and honor that, respect that. That's like, okay, fine. And then that's your thing. Uh, maybe that's something that you put in your in your profile. Um, I am by by curious. I am wanting to explore more with with women. Uh, so that way you can curate to who would be desiring to go on that journey with you. Uh, but also, yeah, I would say be open to the exploration. One of the biggest challenges that I hear, and this was for me personally, so inviting you into my own, uh, my own internal process of my journey, but we can be afraid about having bad sex for the first time, (laughs) you know, whether, whatever gender expression you are. And, and I get it. You're new. You know, if you're curious and this is your first time, you, you you don't have a reference point for this. You're new to this. So, (laughs) It's okay to not know what you're doing. That's, that's makes sense with women and dating women for the first time. I did a podcast episode called, uh, I think it's episode 112 called to please a pussy. So definitely check that one out. Um, you'll love it. But when you're having sex with another woman, it's not so much about the technique as it is the feeling, the intimate connection and the passion And let me explain that. So we can get in our head about, I don't know what to do with my fingers or with my tongue, but learning how to drop into your body is is ultimately the best tip and tool that you can have. One of my favorite things about sex with women is that it's not a linear stick it in mechanic experience or even just like let's chase to the orgasm, but it's usually ones that's mm, like a dance like a dance between our bodies. Oof. And women's bodies tend to be softer, whether it's their lips or their curves or the softness of their tin, their skin texture. It's sensually delightful. And I also notice that women tend to be more present in their hands and they tend to be softer in their touch. They know that the pussy needs more of a gentle approach or touch or that the rest of the body needs to be turned on first. So women tend not to be so grabby. And maybe it's because we both have that, a pussy that we can empathize. <laughs> uh, but there also tends to be, you know, like more of a movement of the hips and, and like a dance formation between bodies. So if you, if you want them to lead the way or ask them what they like, like go for it, let them be their own expert of their pleasure. I think that tip should be given to everyone, no matter what your gender expression is, you know, ask them what turns you on. What do you like? How do you like to be touched? Like, yes, put them in the driver's seat. You can also express what types of sexual activity that you're open to So again, think of sex on a spectrum of various activity. You know, you can desire some and not desire others. And communicating this can really uh, relax us into the experience. So if you are a woman or a femme or a trans woman who dates women, you can also learn a lot of tips and tricks that you can apply to amplifying your sex life and dating life with, with me 
in my Herotically Undone six-week course. So I teach the best tips. Honestly, like amazing sex, (laughs) the best sex of your life with yourself and with another person. Um, This is all from increasing both the passion in sex as well as harnessing your seductress energy, which truthfully amplifies your sexual activity. Like if you're able to be that seductress and like play with the energy and learn about the energy, like drool, I'm drooling all over my, my mic right now. I teach demos of variations of scissoring, of grinding, of humping, (laughs) of playing with your pussy that will help you to feel more confident in this area, in this, in this sex and bisexuality. Uh, It's a lot of this is about you being in your body, about you relaxing into the energy of creating the polarity between you and holding that polarity. And I know that relaxing can be a really annoying word. Like if I knew how to relax, I'd be doing that already, Dr. Kat. But that's why I built this program to help you out. So definitely check that out. Whether whatever your orientation is or your curiosity is, it's it's really for all of you femme identifying and women and trans. So ultimately, yeah, going into the sex, you, know, you may have that pop up in your head where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be good. I don't know what I'm doing. You can bring that up with your partner very vulnerably outside of the experience of sex, you know, and say, you know, I, this is my first time or, or, um, I really want to go slow. Maybe can we make out and just roll around with each other and, and maybe not go into the hands just yet. Or again, you can have them show you what they like, or you can turn this, you know, if they want to be a teacher, not everybody wants to be a teacher. Um, I love being a teacher, (laughs) but maybe they don't and that's okay. Uh, But even if you can master your ability to be in your body, to circulate your hips, to grind your pussy on theirs or to ride their bodies, um, think about dancing on with their bodies, moving in synchronized motion, dropping into synchronized breath, maybe having a dope ass slow playlist of sensual songs that help you to anchor to so that you can move your body in a way that that's fluid. Like those would be my best tips for, for sex with, with women. And for men also, you can go slow too. You can also express what you're open to and what you're not open to. Take your time. And I can't even emphasize that enough. There is no race to the end. There's no finish line to your eroticism. It's really infinite the more that you get curious. And so if we make this a whole journey you, we can be more present to the unfolding and we can make sure that every step along the way is authentic to us and consenting in our own self. You know, consent happens within ourself as much as it does between us and another person. Uh, because the moment that we push ourselves to do something to fit somebody else's expectation or to fit a label, it, it feels yucky in our body. It feels like almost like a self-betrayal. And we don't want to do that. We want to develop a trust in our body versus a mistrust or a contraction in the body. All right. So 
I hope that you're inspired by this episode. I want to hear your success stories. I want to hear what you're learning. And I'm really excited. Hopefully I'll see you in Erotically Undone and, uh, and, or in any of my other upcoming retreats and workshops. I just fucking love sex. And I love <laughs> to see your evolution in it as well. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.